Hello and welcome to The 100 Podcast. Send Charlie here with you. Hope you're well. Today we're doing another of our retention specials. Retention deadline day is fast approaching. So we're looking at every single franchise to see which players their men's and women's side should keep. Today, it's the London Spirit. And you're going to hear this episode in two parts because they have been recorded separately. We initially recorded this episode a couple of days before Owen Morgan's retirement on the Monday. We're now recording this on Monday evening. So the men's and women's podcasts will be split in the middle and I have a slightly croakier voice in the second part because I had a sore throat on Sunday. So let's go through the men's side of this London spirit. We'll get on to the women's side later on, Charlie. But before we do, Owen Morgan... A player with just an incredible legacy for white ball cricket in this country. A word on his contribution before we get to the spirit. Genuinely huge. I think he changed the way that this country perceives white ball cricket as well as the way that we play it. I think it's. I think before he came on board as captain, we were a very conservative nation with the way that we approach white ball cricket, and he completely turned it on his head. Played a very carefree all hell break loose kind of cricket and it really changed everything now the England men's team one of the most dominant sides in white ball cricket so his contribution cannot be understated he has left a huge mark on white ball cricket in England and you should remember what the situation was when he took over because he took over from Alistair Cook before the 2015 World Cup which is obviously a complete and utter disaster everything that could go wrong went wrong New Zealand absolutely obliterated them in that tournament, um, just a nightmare from start to finish. That was his start. He turned it around so quickly as well, so quickly with one of the best sides in the world. And, and since then, you know, leaps and bounds, winning an ODI World Cup, building the foundations for the side that would win the T20 World Cup, standing aside at the correct moment to, you know, help make that happen as well as his kind of form waned. Just uh, an incredible legacy, and I don't think he should be overlooked. And I also think it's, it's worth remembering that, you know, I'm not sure if there is a hundred without Owen Morgan. The impact that he's had on white ball cricket in this tour, in this country, is phenomenal. And the fact they've taken this step, this brave step, is because there's been a change in the way that white ball cricket is perceived. A great deal of that is down to him, um, and yeah, a, a fantastic career. So good on you, Owen. And it's, I, I don't really know how how legacies kind of work to be honest in terms of white ball versus red ball often we talk about we talk about like, you know test cricket as you know the the ultimate thing you're always going to have that legacy more from that than white ball cricket i think that's changing but if we're having a genuine debate I, I don't see how he isn't england's greatest ever captain by a significant margin i think it's hard to think of someone who's had more of an impact on the game both in terms of how it's played and how people see it than him. Certainly in my lifetime, I couldn't think of one. Yeah, I completely agree. And it's, it's also the Red Bull side now. It's also the Red Bull side now. They wouldn't be playing this way if Owen Morgan hadn't opened up their white ball side. So good on you, Owen. It does mean that we've had to re-record our men's section of this because we originally suspected they'd retain him, um, at the London Spirit, that is, in the 100K slot. They now aren't. So let's talk you through where we are with the London Spirit. Mark Wood is the centrally contracted player. And we suspect that he will uh, be hopefully there for the tournament. That'd be great, given his fitness issues in previous years. Uh, Glenn Maxwell keeping 125k. And we've got Zach Crawley at 100k. Nathan Ellison, Liam Dawson at 75k. Dan Lawrence at 60k. 
Blake Collin and Brad Will at 30k, and then um, a couple of players in a 50k slot that we'll get on to in a moment. I think the one thing that Owen Morgan's retirement kind of changes in this aspect, Charlie, is who's going to be a captain, who's going to be a leader, because I'm not sure necessarily who other than Glenn Maxwell jumps off that off that page. And if Maxwell isn't going to play the entire tournament, it's, it's probably getting to the point where you are considering with your first couple of round picks, bringing in someone who is a captain and can lead this side. Potentially. I do think the role of a captain can be a little bit overestimated in terms of how important it actually is. I think generally I'd rather have the best player than a slightly lesser player who is a good captain in those high slots. That would be how I typically approach this. But you're right, Owen Morgan's presence as a leader, both on and off the field, particularly off the field, I think, in terms of setting the culture, it's been huge. I think in this London Spirit dressing room, he really sets the tone. So that is going to be a big loss, certainly more in terms of off the field than on the field. I think that's where you're going to see the hole left by him. Um, look, I, I personally wouldn't be using that to recruit a specialist captain, but no, if no, you can no. get a really, but if you can get a really good player who happens to be a good leader, then by all means, go for that player. Yeah, I think I think that's the way you look at it. Obviously, you're never going to bring in a specialist captain because I think we're beyond those days, thankfully. But yeah, I do think you have to consider the fact that this side doesn't necessarily have a lot of leadership options. I mean, it'd probably be Liam Dawson if Ben Maxwell was to go, you'd think. So I do think you you want to consider bringing in some experience. So that's not necessarily you know, a specialist captain. It's an experienced player who can lead the side. Let's leave that other wayside for the moment. Let's come back to this in the draft. What they have, you know, without Owen Morgan there now, is Mark Wood, Nathan Ellis, two really gun seamers, a couple of exciting ones in Colin and Wheel. You have Dawson as kind of an all-round spin option. Crawley, Lawrence, a couple of young players there who can kind of form that batting lineup with Glenn Maxwell. There are a lot of gaps to fill. We'll get onto that in a moment, but but there's a couple of players that we're hoping to retain. We haven't mentioned yet before we get into the overall makeup of the side. At 50k, we have penciled in Adam Rossington and Mason Cray. Now, the reason we've done this is because we aren't quite sure whether we want to give Mason Cray and Adam Rossington a paper. Now, Rossington's had a great SA20 uh, match-winning knock in the final of that tournament. Played brilliantly. Lots of intent. You know, you're not sure what, how much you want to pay Adam Rossington is ultimately the debate. I do think there's an issue of perception with Adam Rossington. A lot of people are thinking of him as a larger bloke, hits it hard, but don't necessarily see him as a proper serious teaspoon cricketer, which he is. Uh, Mason Crane struggled a bit last year. He's bowled better, I think, but just hasn't been, you know, a, a real key contributor for the London Spirit. So ultimately, with the kind of considerations of the fact that there are some gaps in the side and we wanted high value draft picks. Effectively, what we said is we offer 50k to both of them, hoping one of one of them would say yes. We think hopefully one of them would say yes. And then, you know, if they don't say yes, hopefully we can write to match them later if that comes to it. I think ultimately, Charlie, it's it's the right way of going about this because you never want to stick a couple of players higher in your draft board than you really need to. Absolutely. I think one of the golden rules when it comes to retentions in drafts is that there is absolutely no point retaining a player who is probably going to fall back to the exact same salary or lower down than you retain them for. And I think with Rossington and Crane, you have two players where that kind of applies to. They're both good players. I think Rossington in particular offers a really valuable skill set. You know, he can go from ball one and go really hard and he can keep wicket too. That is a valuable skill set to have. 
And with Mason Crane, you have a pretty solid domestic leg spinner, which again, isn't necessarily the easiest kind of player to find. But I feel like they are both A, replaceable, and B, are likely to fall back to you in the draft at around the 60-50k mark anyway. So with that being the case, I don't necessarily see a great argument for keeping both of them. I think you offer them both 50k, take it or leave it. If they don't take it, that's probably fine because you can definitely get at least one in the back anywhere in the draft. I'd agree with that. And I think I think it's the right kind of slot for that kind of contributor. The other big headline um, in terms of the retentions here is that you haven't heard Jordan Thompson's name called. Um, originally slated at 75k, we've taken the decision to let him go and keep Leon Dawson. The reason being is also we're big fans of John Thompson. Um, we were much bigger fans than literally everybody else uh, <laughs> in the cricket community until last year when everyone started to really warm to him and we kind of realised, well, maybe he's not quite the player that we uh, had been seeing the, the couple of years previous. Um, the reason we've let him go is, you know, last year as an, as a bowler, he contributed in the 100. He took wickets. He came through for the spirit in important times. But he was a little bit expensive. And I think that's who he is as a bowler. He's the kind of guy who can bowl the tough overs, can come through clutch, but isn't that high-end elite bowler. So if you're going to be paying someone like that 75k, they need to be contributing with the bat, something that last year he just didn't do. I mean, I think throughout the summer in T20 cricket, I think he only really made that one special innings in uh, in the T20 blast, obviously against Lancashire, um, just where the Lancashire bowlers were just feeding him absolute nonsense and he put it away. That was really the only time in the entire summer that he he got going with the bat. Previously, we saw that intent, a high strike rate, didn't see it last summer. And in the 100, average of 6.85, strike over 117. Really struggled with the bat. And I just don't think you can keep a player like that if the batting isn't at that level. Whilst he may take wickets and he can come through clutch, I just think 75K is really steep. So that's why we've decided to send him back into the draft. Yeah, it's a real shame because I think we were both very big fans of Jordan Thompson, mainly because we thought his upside as a number six hitter who could give you a couple of overs was really, really solid. But he isn't that kind of player at the moment. Maybe his batting will come good in years to come, but at present, it looks a little bit like he's been found out. I think teams have noticed that if you bowl quicker bowlers back of the length around the kind of chest and ribs area, he really struggles with it. So all you got to do is hit him in that area and chances are he's going to sky it and he's going to get caught out. That has happened quite a lot with him. So I think if you look at him purely as a bowler, ignoring the batting, if you look at the other seamers that we have penciled in at that 75k bracket, we've got the likes of Reese Toplin, Sakiba Mood, Chris Jordan, Jake Ball, Ollie Stone, Luke Wood. I think they're all better bowlers than, than Jordan Thompson. Yeah. I think he's still a player of a lot of upside, but I don't think he's worth that money if his batting isn't there anymore. So... Progressively, I think letting him go is probably the right call. That doesn't mean he doesn't come back to you for, say, 60K. I think that'd be a reasonable offer, but that probably isn't going to be what happens. I think a team might take a part in them earlier and fair play. But I think given the draft good we've got, it probably makes sense that he goes elsewhere, unfortunately. Yeah, and I, I think there's a lot to love about Jordan Thompson, and there is plenty of upside, but you just got to fix the batting, and he doesn't look like. He just doesn't look like that's a part of his game anymore, which is a shame. So hopefully he sorts that out. But 
I think it's the right decision. And I also think, and this is going to come on to our next discussion about what's next for London Spirit, I think it's a bit dangerous to have a non-factor with the bat um, at that six and seven range, especially with with what they're they're working with currently. So in terms of their attentions, you've got Ellis, Wood, Colin Wheel, it's a good seam attack. With Morgan gone and Thompson gone, they now have no. They no longer have a, a left-handed batter who's going to contribute uh, in that top seven. So let's assume that Rossington stays. You've got Crawley, Rossington, Lawrence, Maxwell. Now you really have some gaps in that middle order. You're wanting a left-handed finisher. You maybe just wanting a left-handed batter in general, and then also you know wanting to find an all-round option and a spinner as well. There's a lot of gaps here, which is kind of why you want to release Thompson and, and leave yourself with more draft capital. So they'll have a pick in round one, a pick in round three, a pick in round seven, a couple of picks later down as well. But there's a lot of work to be done here, Charlie. There's a lot of work because with Morgan gone and you know questions about the the spin attack and what you're going to do with the middle order, it's there's a lot of good players they're going to need to bring in to make this work. There are. I think they had a good season last year. I think there was the core of a strong side there last year, but it's going to be a markedly different side this year, I think. Just the loss of Morgan alone will mean that this side looks and feels quite different, I think. But if the retentions grid we've predicted is relatively accurate, and I think we have pretty good reason to believe it will be more or less accurate for the most part, then it is going to be a markedly different side. And I think they do have some work to do. I think there's a couple of players that I can immediately think of that might be good fits for them, but whether or not they agree, I don't know. Ultimately though, I think this is a side with quite a bit of work going forward. Yeah, I think it is. I mean, some players that we'll throw around, you've mentioned this um, in the, for the London Spirit before, is David Willey. He's yeah. going to be available here. Maybe that's the 125k pick. Maybe he's the left-handed batter who can contribute at six and seven. And then obviously brings that left arm option, more of a power play specialist than Ellison would. That brings about a really balanced seam attack. And then you've got someone who can bat in the middle order as well. Other names that I I, I quite like. If you can get him lower down, how about David Miller? Struggled for the Welsh Fire last year, but an experienced guy to have in that middle order. A bit of leadership as well. Could be a nice finisher. And then you're kind of opening up the idea of maybe, you know, a couple of a couple of you know, extra players, maybe a spinner, maybe another middle order player. But if you just think that you can have Dawson batting seven and eight with, you know, with Willie in there as well, David Miller, bring in another good spinner. I, I think you can make this work ultimately the thing is you've just got to nail your picks and that's where the draft becomes so important. So that's going to be absolutely key for them. And keeping that in mind, Charlie, how confident are you for the London spirit heading into this process? How do you feel about them? I'm not sure, to be honest with you. I think they've got a lot more work than I initially thought they were going to have. I think they drafted pretty well last year on the whole. I think they rebuilt quite nicely after their first season, which was very poor. Uh, and I think they've got more or less the same backroom staff in place this year. So if history shows anything with this side, it's that they have the potential to rebuild quite nicely. That being said, the loss of Morgan will be a big, big hole to fill, particularly in terms of the off-field tone setting, in terms of the culture. That's going to be very tough to replace. So I'm expecting this team to look quite different. In what way? I don't know. But it's going to be a different team, no doubt about it. 
I agree with that. I think it's going to be an interesting off-season. They're going to have to nail this draft, and I don't know if Owen Morgan will have a say in it, but this is a real test for Trevor Bayliss and team. Let's have a break, and let's get to our conversation. We had a couple of days before this about the London Spirit women's team. As we've been saying quite a lot throughout this process, there's lots of correlations between each team. And here with the London Spirit women's team, I found these retentions very, very difficult because there's some players that I was very keen to keep about. In terms of what we've done, we've got two players in the round one and two slots, the highest brackets. That's England captain Heather Knight, and that's New Zealand all-rounder Amelia Kerr. You've got to keep Knight around as captain, as a class player. And then Amelia Kerr, gun leg spinner, gun, gun leg spinner, who can also contribute with the bat. So you feel pretty confident about those two. Then in round four, Charlie Dean we're bringing back, obviously around the England setup, interesting off spinner. And then Grace Scrivens in round six. Charlie, there's lots of lots of quality in these four players. And as we'll get onto, it was difficult to, to let some players go, but you feel pretty good about what you've got here. I agree. I think he got a really nice blend of youth and experience here. Heather Knight, obviously, you keep her around. Great top order batter, get some overs out of her as well. Very experienced, great leader. It's a no-brainer. Amelia Kerr, likewise, what a player. It, it's it's common sense. But then you've got some really nice younger players in Dean and Scrivens. Charlie Dean is still very much at the start of her career, but already in and around England, set up very tidy off spinner. And Grace Scrivens, England under-19s, recently played their very high upside player. I think you have a really nice blend here. And just immediately, I, I feel really good about this call. I do feel good about this call. And it's difficult because there were some other really young players that I'd be keen to keep if I had the spirit. You know, you look at the one benefit of where they were, and they weren't great last year. You look at the, the big benefit of the squad they had. So they had lots of young players they were they were moving forward with. Danny Gibson, only 21. Alice Monaghan, only 22. They're expecting big things out of her. And Grace Ballinger, only 20. Nancy Harmon, 23. Um, you 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 felt pretty good about those young players. Now they're going to have to go back into the draft mechanism. Um, I think they they probably maybe have one too many um, frontline finger spinners here. Um, but but the fact that they've they've sorted out and then they'll have a very good and relatively diverse spin attack is is a good thing for them. But, but but it it was very difficult to then let Megan shoot go, um, especially obviously they're not keeping a seamer. Um, Fred Davies, maybe you can bring back later in the draft. But but you know, seeing a quality player like shoot go is obviously pretty difficult to see. And then Beth Mooney as well at the top of the order. So even though I think we feel pretty confident we're doing the right thing here, the spirit are losing two players they love to keep around. And um, I, I think that probably means they're going to have to invest pretty well um, in an overseas seamer, in an overseas top order batter lower on in the draft. Yeah, they are. But this is the challenge every side faces. You know, I feel equally bad about letting someone like Dean or Scrivens go, to be honest, because mm. I, I, I think they're both players with so much upside and potential who are going to grow with the franchise, hopefully, over the next decade or so. So whatever you do, you're seeing someone you really don't want to have to let go, go, right? And that's that's a horrible situation to be in. I think investing in the future is the way to go with those high upside domestic players. I, I do agree that obviously the seam attack is going to have to be an area you invest in pretty hard. I think the flexibility they have at least of knowing that that spin attack is more or less sorted means that you can go, go in early and hard and try and fill those gaps. But my general theory on this 
with only four retentions is that you're never going to necessarily balance your squad with four retentions, right? You can't do that. So there's not much point thinking about that. Just try and lock in the talent where you have it, and then you can try and plug the holes later. And I think the picks we made here reflect that. So I think they're in a good position to try and plug those gaps now. Now, I think there is a strategy that you could take. I think it's slightly more difficult on the women's side of things to take this strategy because you are trying desperately to keep your marquee players. For example, the Rockets, you're going to keep both Silver Brunts because they're they're the players you want to keep on this market. There is a way I think they could game the system here where you could potentially, and this would be difficult, not retain Amelia Kerr, have Heather Knight in, in at round two, have Megan shoot in at round three, or Beth Mooney, pick your poison there, which, whichever great player you want. So that's just so you keep Knight in at round two. You have Beth Mooney slash Megan shoot in at round three, Charlie Dean in round four, and Grace Skirivans at round six. Then with the with that round one pick, you are picking second in the draft. You could either write to match Amelia Kerr back or just draft Amelia Kerr back if Welsh Fire go a different direction. So I don't necessarily know if they're going to go down this route. However, I think if we were looking at this from a let's get as much value as possible rather than let's lock in our marketing value right away, I think the correct solution here is to let Amelia Kerr go and then just bring her back with the second overall pick. So that is a direction that they could go in this draft. It is, and that's a really interesting theory. I think in terms of approaching this with a game theory mentality, that makes a lot of sense. You have more upside to gain there, potentially. The downside, potentially, of course, is the fact that you risk annoying and upsetting one of your star players by letting him go. And then when you write to match them back, they're kind of a bit like, well, why did you release me in the first place? So unless you're very, very clear with your communication and strategy, when you explain to them why they're being released, then you kind of risk upsetting one of your gun overseas players. So I can see that not being the route they want to take, but especially given how new the draft is to the women's game, I feel like there's going to be so many potential avenues to explore here because we don't necessarily know how these teams are going to approach it. We don't know what sides are going to come into this with different approaches. Some might be more game theory focused than others. We just don't know because it's such a new concept and we don't know how these teams' backroom staffs are going to approach it. So I don't know. It's the truth. I do like your theory. I think there's, there is something to be said for that. I would do this and I would sit Amelia Kerr down and say, um, hi, we're not retaining you. However, we will be paying you the top price bracket. The question is, do you want to see Megan Shute open the bowling for us next year or not? You can either have Megan Shute open the bowling and still get the same amount of money, or you can have the same amount of money and Megan Shute will not be opening the bowling. Your choice. I think it's as simple as that. You just say to her, look, we we think we can get more value out of this. We're still going to pick you with the second overall pick. We'll write to match you. You're still getting the same money. Don't worry, basically. So, again, whilst these are the four players we'd be most keen to keep, I think the correct solution would be keeping either Megan Shoot or Beth Mooney in round three and doing that. And I think that is the strategy we would take. In this exercise, we are trying to highlight the four players we're most keen to keep because we don't really know how this draft's going to play out. However... That is the correct solution to this issue. And effectively, it means you can retain five players. So 
That is the way I would go about this um, if I was the London spirit. And I do think it means they can get great value out of things. So, and this is the great thing also, is they might not even need to use the right to match an immediate go. Well, far am I going of the direction? There's so many quality players in this draft. It makes it unpredictable and exciting. So um, with all of that in mind, Charlie, I feel pretty good about the London spirit, especially if you take on that strategy I've outlined. You have a great captain, great player in Heather Knight, Amelia Kerr, one of Mooney and Shoot, Dean Scrivens for the future. You feel you feel like there's a lot to like about this core that you can keep. Absolutely. It's a really nice balance here. I think if this is the route that the new coach Ashley Nofka decides to take, I think it's a very exciting base going forward into the draft. Really nice blend of youth and experience, really nice varied spin attack there, and a really good top order batter in Heaven Knight. So I think it's a really good base going forward and I think it gives them a lot of promise. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I think a strong position heading into 2023. And we talk about correlations between each team's men's and women's side here. We'll have debates about how they can use the draft to their advantage to make their side as good as possible in 2023. Thank you very much for listening. We've got a episode on retentions out for every single franchise. So don't worry if you haven't seen your favourite franchise yet. It'll be on your feed in no time. Check out our Twitter page at Podcast Sundra. That's where all the good stuff will be post-retentions and heading into draft season. We're so excited to get it going um, so please check us out at Podcast 100 on Twitter and listen to the rest of our retention specials but for now thank you very much for listening and we'll speak to you next time